0: If you have a Bible, would you take it and turn to Isaiah 48? Isaiah chapter 48. And as you turn there, can I just say that sometimes Isaiah is really hard to understand. (laughs) I told my wife this afternoon, I don't want to preach today because I just wasn't sure where to go with this. There's no notes in your bulletin, because I wasn't sure if they were going to stay the same as of last night when I was printing them. Um, so if you find Isaiah difficult, uh, I do too. But also, as I've as we've gone through this series, I find myself now reading Isaiah again in my Bible reading, and I feel like I understand it better. And I feel like I've grown just as a student and as a reader of God's Word. So um, while we leave every chapter of Isaiah with questions unanswered probably. I think we're growing as students of the word and know how to tackle some difficult things and how to wade through them. So Isaiah 48 is our, um, is our text for this afternoon. In our studies in uh, this book, Isaiah's focus has recently been on the deliverance from the captivity that the Lord would provide through Cyrus, the king of Persia. He's been hashing out the reality and the implications of this predictive prophecy of Babylon's fall and Judah's deliverance from exile and, and their their journey back to Jerusalem. Last week, we saw in chapter 47 that the, the prideful and the self-assured Babylonians were going to flee from their city with their worthless idols on their backs. And here, God's people are also, also told to flee Babylon. They're to run out of this destroyed city and run back to Jerusalem. The conquering of of Babylon means deliverance from exile for God's people. However, what we're going to see is that more than simply political deliverance is needed for Israel. Getting out of Babylon doesn't solve anything if there's too much of Babylon in God's people. if they're they're filled with too much prideful self-sufficiency and idol worship. A change of location from Babylon back to Jerusalem cannot bring about a change of heart. And the end of exile does not mean the beginning of true peace for God's people. We often imagine that if we get through a certain season of life, that peace is on the other side. Maybe this summer you thought vacation that's gonna do it when I come home peace or maybe we think if we would move homes or, or, or jobs that that's the secret to peace relationships are begun and ended in a quest for peace things are bought and sold by those that are seeking peace addictive behaviors are started and stopped by people seeking peace we even think sometimes that there's a a secret key to a deeper walk with the Lord. I was listening to a song by Andrew Osenga this week, and he's saying what I know I have often felt. He said, "I read the books I thought would make me feel a little closer, Lord to you. I wrote the songs I thought would make me heal with little echoes of the truth, yet I do what I want to do. We read all the books and we we do the things that we think will bring us peace but sometimes it doesn't work and all of this this seeking for peace and not finding it is rooted in a very simple place namely simple stubborn unwillingness to listen to and trust the Lord alone we listen to so many other voices telling us where we can find peace and rest while the Lord calls out to us continually to listen to him And find in who he is and find in the goodness of his commands the peace of heart and soul that we are all looking for and to that end I think Isaiah 48 is saying to us this afternoon if you long for peace then listen to the Lord if you long for peace and I think we all do if you long for peace then listen to the Lord listen to him trust him walk in his ways believe his promises if you long for peace the answer is simple, listen to the Lord. The story of this chapter is a its a familiar one if you've read your Bible. It's a story of stubborn unfaithfulness on the part of God's people and of never failing faithfulness on the part of God. Here, the, the Lord is exalted as the powerful and sovereign redeemer of his people while his people are revealed in all of their stubbornness and all of their rebellion. And in Israel, we see ourselves We see how we often stubbornly put our fingers in our ears and continue to walk toward destruction as the Lord calls out to us and seeks to lead us away from destruction. Like a child who refuses to listen to the pleas of his parents, we walk away from the Lord, away from the peace that we desire and that he alone is holding out to us. If you look at this chapter structurally, it can be split into two parts, verses 1 through 11 and then verses 12 through 22. But I also think there's two themes that I've already mentioned that are woven especially throughout this chapter. One is the stubborn unfaithfulness of God's people. And the second is the never-failing faithfulness of God. And amidst those themes, we, we see a third one. We see the way that God is working for the good of His people and for the glory of his name in everything that he does. So my, my hope is that rather than sort of rigidly outlining this chapter, I just want us to think about these themes that are woven throughout the, the chapter. To, to see the stubborn unfaithfulness that we are often prone to, to see the unfailing faithfulness of God as he calls us to listen to him and find peace in him, and the way that God is always working for his glory. So with those themes in mind, I'd like to read Isaiah 48. And I'll restate those after we read the chapter if you didn't hear them. Isaiah 48, look at God's word with me. Beginning in verse one. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth and I announced them. And then suddenly I did them and they came to pass because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you. Lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this. And will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned my glory i will not give to another verse 12 listen to me o jacob and israel whom i called i am he i am the first and i am the last my my hand laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens when i call to them they stand forth together assemble all of you and listen who among them has declared these things The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon and his arms shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me, hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare... Declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and the water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. If you long for peace, then listen to the Lord. Three themes that we're going to be thinking about: the stubborn unfaithfulness of God's people, the never-failing faithfulness of God, and God's passion for His own glory. From the first two pe- two verses, God's people's hypocrisy is highlighted. The, the key phrase is at the end of verse one: "But not in truth or right." Uh, the message renders the phrase as two questions. It says, "You use God's name to back up your promises and pray to the God of Israel, but do you mean it? Do you live like it?" In the first part of of the verse, we find that God's people they call themselves by all these names associated uh, with with God. They they call themselves God God call themselves God's people. They say they're from this land of promise. They're from Judah. They swore allegiance to God, but it was all lip service. It was all hypocrisy. It was all an act. Like one who says to your face that they're your friend and then makes fun of you behind your back, so too God's people claim to be his while worshiping false idols and swearing allegiance to foreign kings. There's more rebuke to come for God's unfaithful people in this this chapter, but the seeds of hope for sinful and insincere Judah are actually already hinted at in verse 2. Because the hope for God's people is never their own righteousness or faithfulness. The hope for God's people is never their own righteousness or faithfulness. Their hope is in the God of Israel, the covenant God who has sworn allegiance to them and will not be unfaithful. Their hope is in the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty who is more than able to rescue them. Their hope is on the God who never lies and who has eternally bound himself to them. And so too, the hope of all people is that God would bind himself to us, that God would enter into a relationship with us of his own will and by his own power and for his own glory, and that he would then keep us through his own faithfulness and his own strength, never leaving us, no matter how often we leave him. We are too weak and we are too fickle to trust in our own goodness or our own strength or our own faithfulness. Only our faithful God can rescue and deliver us. God's power and faithfulness are spoken of in verses 3 through 8 and they're they're set in contrast not only to the unfaithfulness of his people but specifically to their stubbornness. Isaiah uses a familiar motif. He speaks about former things in verse 3 and then new things in verse Six And in both cases, we find that God is the sovereign Lord over them all. Again, again, Isaiah exalts God as the one who declares, announces, and brings to pass all that happens in the history of the world. Whether stated or not, prophesied or not, God not only knows what will happen, but he brings it about. Maybe you're like me. You're someone who has a lot of really good ideas, but you never really know how to bring them to fruition. (laughs) Or, or maybe you're someone, you lack creativity, but if someone gives you a task to accomplish, you can do it. Well, when it comes to everything that happens in all the world, throughout all of human history, God is the one who forms the idea. He's the one who makes the plan, and he is the one who perfectly brings it to pass. And in that, he shows that there is no one like him in all the universe. The phrase former things in verse three often refers to the exodus of, of God's people from Egypt, though here it probably refers to the exodus from exile in Babylon through the hand of Cyrus. God has announced these things before they happened. And then there are new things still to come that are spoken of in verse six. And I, Isaiah, as Isaiah slowly reveals the coming servant, the servant of the Lord who would deliver God's people, it's likely that these are the new things that he has in mind. These new things foreshadowed in all the former deliverances of Israel will be fully revealed in the future deliverance of all God's people, not from a foreign king or a political exile, but from sin and death through the coming of Jesus, the Son of God. Both the former things and the future things are foretold They are predicted and prophesied before they come to pass. And we're told that God does that in an effort to cure the stubbornness of his people. God foretells all of these events clearly so that his people cannot give credit for their occurrence to their idols. He names Cyrus before he was born and he foretells of the deliverance that Cyrus is going to provide so that when it happens, his people will say, The Lord has done this he he predicted it the the deaf and dumb idols that we worshiped in Babylon they they had no clue that this was going to happen God did this God tells them what will happen before it happens so that they can't say in their pride according to verse 7 I knew this was going to (laughs) happen such strong and powerful predictions are necessary because God's people are so stubborn Verse 4 says they are obstinate. It says they have a neck of iron that will not bow in humility. They have a forehead of bronze, meaning they're unteachable, they're stuck in their ways. You know anyone obstinate, stubborn? Is it you? <laughs> None of this is new, though. In verse 8, it reveals that their ears have never been open. And even before birth, God's people were rebels. And it's something that God knew all along. He knew exactly who they were when he chose them. And it's not only Israel that's hard-headed from birth, is it? We're all born in rebellion. As Stephen says in Acts seven, we are a stiff necked people who resist the Holy Spirit. We look to false gods. We walk through life pridefully saying, I knew that was gonna happen about things That we have no knowledge of we give glory to god's substitutes and we take god's glory for ourselves we look at the predictive prophecies of scripture and we explain them away scholars are always trying to say that biblical books were written, written later than they were so that the prophecies of the bible can be denied god didn't know what was going to happen there's no way that he wrote down cyrus's name before he was born and while on the surface Sometimes those things seem like irrelevant pieces of textual criticism. Those things are a denial of this truth about God that, has, that Isaiah has been hammering into our hearts over and over again, that the Lord is the sovereign shaper of history, that he knows the end from the beginning, that he alone is God, not we who struggle to predict the weather or the traffic on our commute to work. We need to, to hear these prophecies for what they are, and accept them as faith, not deny them in an effort to think that we are in control and God is not. And yet for all of our denial of his sovereignty and of his power, God is faithful. He is so faithful to his people. He pursues his stubborn sheep even as we run away from him constantly. And the question I wanna ask is, why? why? Why is he so faithful? We see the answer in verses eight through 11, the reason for God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people. And it's a reason that's already been hinted at in verses three through seven. The, the Lord says in verse five that he predicts these coming events. Why? So that his people won't say that a false idol was in control. But his reasoning is even more clear in these three verses in verses, 8, in verses um, nine through 11. Consider the phrases that you see there. Phrases like, for my name's sake. For the sake of my praise, for my own sake, for my own sake. And finally, my glory I will not give to another. Why does God defer his anger? Why does he restrain from cutting off his people? Why does he continue to seek to refine them and purify them? Why? It says here, for his name's sake, for the reputation of his character. He does it for his own glory the world is filled with people seeking their own glory seeking to make a name for themselves your school your workplace your neighborhood is filled with people who are consciously or unconsciously living for their own glory but the only one deserving of any glory is God and he will not allow his name to be drugged through the mud but here's the problem The problem is that he's bound himself to a people who are constantly threatening to drag his name through the mud. Israel is like that one friend that you have. You know, when you go out and you never know what he or she is going to do and you're always a little nervous because there's this threat that they're going to do or say something embarrassing or something you don't want to be associated with, something that's going to bring a stain on your good name. God has bound himself to his people And even in their rebellion, he refuses to cut them off because to do so would not be true to his name, wouldn't be true to his character. It would not display that he's a God who is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, that he is a God of never failing faithfulness. And so he is faithful to us and he reveals his faithfulness and his goodness as he is faithful and good to a faithless and stubborn people. He shows the depth of his love for us in staying faithful and good to us when we are the exact opposite. But God is is not only faithful to his people, he also seeks to refine his people. Did you notice those words, especially in verse 10? He's seeking to refine his people so that they might reflect his glory in the world through their goodness. He will not leave us ever, but he also won't leave us where we are. He will purify us for the sake of his name and for the sake of his glory. And he will purify us how? Through trials and through affliction, through difficulty, using it as a means to make us more into his image. Verse 10 says that the the Lord has refined his people, but it says, not like silver. Alec Motyer says of this phrase, a process that could have ended in Israel's death has been curtailed. Silver is left in the crucible till the dross is gone, but Israel's silver is all dross. To refine Israel as silver would leave nothing. So God tried them instead in the furnace of Babylonian captivity and he delivered them before they were completely consumed. God acts for the glory of his name. He is faithful to his people and he lovingly refines his people and rescues them. The wonder of all this is that God's desire for his glory and this desire for peace that we talked about are not at odds. John Piper has famously said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God's name is exalted as we find him to be our greatest joy and our perfect peace. As we show with our lives that he only can give us the peace that we are all seeking. And he would give it to us. He would give us eternal peace if we would just listen to him. As we enter into verses 12 through 22, that call to listen to the Lord gets stronger. Verse 12 recalls the the first verse of this chapter where Judah's allegiance and commitment to the Lord was in word only. But here, it's not Judah calling themselves by the name of the Lord. The Lord is calling Judah by his name. He is the one who who called and and claimed them as his own. And he says to them, as he did in verse 1, listen. And that command to, to listen fills out the remainder of this chapter. Verse one, hear this, O house of Jacob. Verse 12, listen to me, O Jacob. Verse 14, assemble all of you and listen. Verse 15, draw near to me, hear this. And finally in verse 18, a lament for their failure to listen, Oh Israel, that you had paid attention to my commandments. We've all said, whether out loud or under our breath, You should have listened to me if you just would have listened to me none of this would have happened and the Lord tells his people that if they had only listened to him they would have found everything that they were seeking in foreign gods everything that they were seeking in themselves calls them once again in verses 12 through 16 to listen to who he is The God who called the earth and the heavens out of chaos and into order was now calling out his purposes for the world in general and for his people in particular. And as heaven and earth could not resist his call in creation, so God's call on all of his people is irresistible. He will rescue them. He will deliver them. But such redemption would never have been necessary if they just would have listened in the beginning. Verses 17 through 19 make that point. If they've simply obeyed in the beginning their peace, God says, would have been like a river. Not, not peaceful. When I think about peace like a river, I think of just sort of a tranquil sort of scene, quiet and lovely. That's not the illustration here. Rather, peace like a river in the sense that it's unchanging. It's overflowing and it's ever flowing. We used the kids' cultural passage yesterday and we took a ride on the Ohio River aboard the Mary M. Miller and as we were on that boat you and i never thought one time what if this river dries up (laughs) never crossed my mind that's what the peace of the lord would be like for us the peace of the lord that the lord offers us as we walk in his ways is unchanging ever flowing it will never dry up he offers us righteousness like the waves that are unceasing and uncountable A righteousness and a holiness of life that is constant. In verse 19, we recall the promises of Abraham. And God says that the decimated nation could have been numberless. It could have been eternal if they had just listened to him. They would have just trusted him. And yet despite their stubbornness, the Lord delivers his people for his own glory. In verse 14, because the Lord loves them. Do you see that phrase? probably the third line down the Lord loves him that phrase may even be a a name for God that Isaiah is using if you look at that phrase the Lord loves him and just put hyphens in between each word the Lord loves him it becomes a name for God the Lord loves him shall perform his purposes on Babylon Verses 20 and 21 describe the exit from Babylon. They leave with a a shout and they're provided for just as they were in the exodus from Egypt. It's much different than the flight of the Babylonians back in chapter 47. And yet, were you surprised by the ending of this chapter in verse 22? Look at verse 22 again. What's it say? After the redemption, after Israel leaves with a shout, it says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. What a surprising and strange phrase. But it serves to remind us that Israel needed something more than deliverance from enemies in this world. They needed something deeper than the deliverance offered by Cyrus. They needed deliverance and redemption and salvation from sin and from themselves. From their stubbornness and from their unfaithfulness. Chapter 48 is sort of a bridge chapter, and in many ways it's paving the way for chapter 49 and following, specifically for the second of the four servant songs that's going to be found in chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Key songs about the coming servant, about Jesus. But in fact, we don't even have we don't even have to wait until chapter 49 because the servant most people think, speaks here in this chapter, in this really enigmatic and strange phrase in verse 16. But they're words that echo Isaiah 42, 1, which is the the first servant song, and they point forward to the second servant song in Isaiah 49. Look at verse 16, that last phrase, and now the Lord has sent me and his spirit. It's the servant. The servant is sent by the Lord and empowered with his spirit to bring about the deliverance that Israel truly needs. Here is the servant. Here in the servant, we see the unfailing faithfulness of God in contrast to all of our stubbornness. We see God's commitment to his own glory and how he is seeking out his glory, how his seeking of his glory leads to the greatest good of his people. It leads to the peace and the salvation of all who will take refuge in him. Now, if you haven't listened to anything up to this point, brothers and sisters, do you see Jesus now in this chapter? Let's, let's try to find Jesus. Do you hear the gospel here? Do you see that Jesus alone can bring us the peace that our souls are craving for? Remember, Isaiah has already told us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he's the greatest peacemaker ever because he brings us eternal peace in delivering us from all that was at the core of Babylon, from sin and death and self-sufficiency and stubbornness. Colossians 1, 19-22 says, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. How? by the blood of his cross. And you, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, stubborn and obstinate, (laughs) doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, walking in his ways the way we're called to. On the cross, Jesus was tried like silver but unlike us in whom there is no righteousness in him, there was no dross and there was no dross because Jesus always listened to the father. He always did what the father told him to do. He trusted the Lord's plan. He, he rested in God's sovereign hands. And so Jesus had peace like a river and righteousness, like the waves of the sea, constant beating on the shore. And because of all this, the furnace of affliction that he went through from his birth to his crucifixion was not to remove any sin in him, but to remove the sin in us. He was burned so that we could be purified. He was crushed as a sinner so that we could be resurrected as saints. The call of the gospel is to listen. It's to listen to the better word that the blood of Jesus speaks, a word that offers us eternal redemption and never-ending peace. It offers us perfect righteousness and makes us a part of the innumerable people of God who will never be cut off and will never be destroyed. Now, but when I say that the gospel is a call to listen, don't hear me say that the, the gospel is a call to keep the commandments, No, when I say listen, I want you to hear the truth that we cannot keep the commandments. That apart from Jesus, we are always and will always be stubborn, obstinate, iron-necked, brass-headed people who would more quickly trust in ourselves and our idols than we would trust in God. To listen to the gospel in the saving sense is to admit that and then to fall on the saving grace of God alone that gospel a gospel that's by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone not by listening to the law not by works of the law gives glory to god alone and that's what god desires is his own glory this gospel makes god's name look great it reveals the wonders of god's character of god's faithfulness of god's greatness of god's love and grace God alone is glorified as we confess our rebellious nature and then allow him to save us and remake us. And then, and only then, having been redeemed through faith in Jesus, now we can listen to the commands that God has given us. Apart from Jesus, we can't. Apart from Jesus, all we do is sin. But in Christ, we are empowered to listen and obey because the Spirit that breaks our stubborn hearts also gives us new hearts, new hearts that are ready and able to listen in the way that God desires us to. The Spirit dwells within us and empowers us, empowers us to to do what God has called us to do, to listen to all of his commands for his glory and for our good. Remember, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the only one who gives sight to the blind, Who gives hearing to the deaf who gives speech to the mute who gives life to the dead he is the only one who can cast down all of our false idols and cast out all of the demons that seek to control us and in christ we now can pay attention to the lord's commands we can find peace like a river in our lives never ending ever flowing peace and we can find righteousness in our lives like the waves of the sea consistent holiness Do you long for consistent holiness? God can give you that as we listen to him and allow his spirit to work it in us. We can have lives that are marked consistently by love for God and love for neighbor. The spirit comes and even strengthens us in the midst of affliction so that we can be made more like Christ. We can have peace in the valleys of life life because of the never failing love of God that will never leave us. So here's what I would say. If you are apart from Christ, listen. Let the gospel break up your stubborn, stony heart. Let the spirit open your eyes to the way you always go astray in your heart and the way that there is no peace for the wicked. Listen to all of that bad news about your sin. And then listen to the good news the good news of the God who has sent his son and his spirit to save you trust in Jesus the one who always listened to the Lord the one who died for our sins and the one who offers life to everyone who will repent and believe and if you are in Christ listen listen to the Lord you are are a spirit indwelt child of God. You are loved by the Lord, you are saved for his glory. Listen to his commands. Therefore you're good. Do you long for peace? Do you long to walk in righteousness and joy? Then listen to God's good commands. I I can't help but go back to that phrase here where, where he says, if you had only oh that you had paid attention to my commandments oh that you if you would just listen so often i come on a sunday and i i hear that if you would have just listened andy (laughs) then during this time of confession you wouldn't be confessing all these things you'd be trusting in me live like the redeemed saint that you are stop looking for peace outside of the father stop looking for peace inside of yourself and find it in walking with Jesus, the one who loves us and gave himself up for us so that we might be at peace with God, that we might be at peace with one another, and we might live at peace with him for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, listen. Walk outside and listen to creation tell you who God is. Open the scriptures and let God's word make his will clear to you listen to the word made flesh as he calls you into love and peace listen to brothers and sisters in christ as they encourage and rebuke and correct and help you if you long for peace there are no shortage of places in this world to look for it and then to walk away disappointed but god in his kindness and for his glory says if you long for peace Just listen to me. Just listen to me. And by his grace and through his spirit, if we are children of God through faith in Christ, we can do that. We can listen to him. We can find peace like a river. We can find righteousness like the waves of the sea. And we'll find that God will never leave us, but also that he'll never leave us where we're at. Will help us to grow, to be living more and more for His glory? Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's Word, and then I will pray for us. Father, we confess that we are often stubborn, foolish. We put our fingers in our ears and don't listen to you. That we read your word and we see where we need to change and we walk away unchanged. Lord, that we seek peace in other places. We seek righteousness in ourselves. Would break our hearts so that we would just listen that we would just listen to you, Lord, that you you call out like a loving parent. As so many of us call out to our children and just say, please listen for your good because I love you. Lord, your spirit is calling out even now to our hearts and saying, listen. So Lord, I pray for, for all of us, Lord, we, we can each walk in, in deeper commitment to you by the power of your spirit, that we would be resting in your good commandments and knowing the peace that you offer. So Lord, would you renew in our hearts a desire to listen to you. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to walk in your ways for our good and ultimately, Lord, for your glory. May your name be lifted up and exalted in our lives.